The sun's a shining in Oxford, Mississippi. Cookouts in the Grove, beer showers. It's just the very best time for an old Miss Rebel to get out and get going. Carry front door peace of mind with you everywhere you go with Eufy Video Lock. Never has home security been so easy. Eufy Video Lock, an all-in-one security device for your front door, allows you to keep an eye on everything back home. And it's so easy. Installation requires only a screwdriver, so ditch those house keys forever and give Eufy Video Lock a try today. There's no monthly fee, and Eufy Video Lock has customer support on standby 247 to help you with any and all home security needs. Go ahead, have your home as fun in the sun with the assurance your home is in good hands with Eufy Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock's built-in camera can tell you who's at your front door from the comfort of your poolside chair. So search Eufy Video Lock today. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. That's Eufy Video Lock, a proud sponsor of this, the Talk of Champions Podcast Network. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at you're listening to Talk of Champions, an Ole Miss Spirit podcast with Ben Garrett. It's up, it's up, it's up, it's up, it's up, it's up. Welcome to Talk of Champions, September 29th, 2022. Happy birthday to my mother. But not happy birthday to Nick Suss. But we still celebrate when he comes on with that. Yes. Thursdays. Are you done with it now? I don't see the excitement. I'm trying no, to no, read no. I was, facial cues. I was off in La La Land. Hello, listeners. I was off in La La Land because I was realizing that my birthday has happened since we started doing that Suss. And I'm so bad at telling people when my birthday happens that you didn't even get the chance to embarrass me. When is your birthday? It was the day of the tech game. Happy birthday, man. Thank you. At least you got to spend your birthday in your hometown. Yeah, no, that was really fun. That was exciting. What'd you do? Uh, my family threw uh, the fiance and I like a little birthday party slash wedding shower thing. So a bunch of people came into town and you know me, the first thing I want to do when I finish up a day of work is talk to 25 people. So that was something else, but I really enjoyed it. It was great to see a bunch of family and friends. Did you get like a couple of envelopes from Aunt Mar- uh, Aunt Sally and Uncle Mark and, you know, great cousin some or other? Yeah, but more like gifts off the registry. And, and let me tell you guys, if you want to, re- if you guys are engaged and are looking to register somewhere, may I suggest Nick Suss's living room? Because we are a wholesale warehouse of things that I didn't know we asked for right now. And uh, our house is not big enough for all of the stuff we're getting for the wedding. And I know this sounds like I'm complaining that people love us. And maybe I am complaining that people love us. But good gracious, do I have a lot of stuff right now. Nick, stop complaining about people loving you. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What's the thing that you got that you didn't expect that you're like, hell yeah, I got this thing now. Mine was a pizza oven. We, we got a pizza stone the other day. That's not quite an oven. We got a quesadilla maker. I don't exactly know how that's going to differentiate from a microwave, but 
we'll, we'll see how that works. Uh, some board games, I didn't realize that Becca just put a bunch of board games on the registry. So that's been, she's a board game person. So that means I have to play a bunch of like murder mystery things, which I'm fine with once every couple of months, but I don't want to have to solve a murder every night. That's, I, I don't want that on my conscience. That's, that's too much. Well, she's like in a ticket to ride and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. She'll play just about anything. We, we've been a, one of her kicks recently was collecting really obscure versions of Monopoly. So we have the SpongeBob memes version of Monopoly. If anyone ever wanted to know why are there, are there enough SpongeBob memes to fill up an entire Monopoly board? Yes, there are. I didn't know that today. I learned yeah. something today. Well, I've got an obscure uh, version of Monopoly if she's interested. Okay. It's New Albanyopoly. I'm dead serious. I'm dead yeah, serious. No, I'm, not, I'm not laughing because I'm surprised. I'm laughing because I'm not surprised. There's every city in America, I'm sure, has one. There's like a South Havenopoly. And I'm like, okay, I didn't realize that South Haven and uh, New Albany were big enough to, to get their own monopolies. But that's, that's awesome. Okay, you can't tell Becca this. But now I think, because it's unwrapped. I was given it like in a secret Santa for Christmas last year. And I was going to buy you something. But now that you've got everything that I might buy, including a quesadilla maker <laughs> that I myself have in my pantry, haven't opened it yet. I ordered it off of Amazon because Gracie, my oldest daughter, loves um, cheese quesadillas. So I was like, okay, instead of going to El Agave, Mi Pueblo, every other day, let me just make them myself. Well, of course, I haven't cracked the box open. So I was thinking to myself, well, I could give that away. I wasn't thinking necessarily for Nick, but now that I know that a new Albanyopoly will have a receptive audience, I could put a nice personal note, give it to Becca. She doesn't know me, not yet. Maybe she never does, but she will oh, have she's new an avid listener of the podcast. She tells me every day, Brad was hilarious on Monday. I mean, I just, I can't stop laughing. Well, that's good. No, no, that's a sweater. She doesn't, she doesn't know what football is. It's great. I was trying to play up the lie that I knew you were telling. Yeah, and but I'm sure people listening want to want to hear us stop uh, dawdling around and hear about football. We'll get to the silly stuff at the end. Oh man, you don't get to host this show. This is that. What well, is that? Sus. That sus Thursday. So you're right. Okay. Sorry, Nick. He's Nick Sus at Nick Sus on Twitter. He covers Ole Miss for the Clarion Ledger. I cover Ole Miss for the Ole Miss Spirit. OleMissSpirit.com and Philadelphia on Three.com. Running a promotion right now. Because it's a big weekend, obviously, this weekend. SEC play is opening for Ole Miss against Kentucky at home. A showdown of two top 15 teams. We can call it that. Two top 15 teams. Ole Miss has a huge collection of visitors coming into town. So if you want to know about that, we cover recruiting every single day on the Ole Miss Spirit. OleMissSpirit.com. Affiliative on three. We're running a promotion, $10, until next football season for the whole year. So if you want to check that out, go to the Ole Miss Spirit. Sign up. I'm biased, but it's, in my opinion, the best place for, you know, Ole Miss coverage and community. But Nick does a tremendous job covering Ole Miss, too. What are you working on right now? Yeah, a lot of, lot of stuff you can visit on clarionledger.com if you, if you want to read. We, we have a big series of stories, not just for myself, but a lot of my coworkers this week commemorating the 60-year anniversary of James Meredith. So that's a lot of fun stuff. We got to talk to uh, James for about three, four hours over the summer. And you ever talk to him, Ben? Yeah, he came to New Albany one time. New Albany is apparently a hopping place to be. I make it sound like it is. Uh, James Meredith came, met my mom, and uh, he's he's an unbelievable person. Yeah, just a, a remarkable human being. Person. Yeah, he was supposed to come for thirty minutes, and he ended up talking to us for four hours. And just uh, 
a lot of really cool stories from him where he will say anything. So <laughs> there's a lot of that. But I, I talked to James Reed for this. I talked to a bunch of Ole Miss people about just kind of what he means to the history of the university and the history of athletics. So you guys can check that out. And if you want more football stuff, I wrote about Jackson Dart this week. I mean, I write about him every week, but I wrote a lot about just kind of where he stands through four weeks. And I think it's actually kind of fascinating when you look at this. I, I think that maybe sometimes we're narrow-minded and I, I'm giving this to myself. I don't know if this is true of you, Ben, but I was kind of at the idea of like, oh man, the first four weeks are where they have to figure out what they are. And week five, they better be a finished product. And like, clearly that's just not true. You can keep getting better through SEC play. And it's kind of fascinating to me where Jackson Dart, we, we spent an entire off season saying, oh, you're going to have to take the good plays with the bad plays. There are going to be some mistakes, this, that. He's got all this arm talent, but will he be able to rein it in? He's kind of been the opposite person through four games where he's seemed reined in. He seemed like the guy that they are playing the minimalist version of, and they're kind of waiting for him to unleash himself. And I kind of looked at that dichotomy and compared him to Matt Corral's growth and everybody from Joe Burrow to Stetson Bennett. So uh, that's, that's a cool one. If you want to take a look at it. Is there any one of those guys, Joe Burrow, Stetson Bennett, why Stetson Bennett, by the way, <laughs> I mean, he won a national championship. That just seems like a strange the, one to throw in. The, the reason I brought up Stetson Bennett is like, nobody's like, he's on everybody's Heisman board right now of like, yeah, the dude's doing what you're supposed to do. You're a quarterback, the number one team in the country. He's thrown for touchdowns. He's thrown for yards. If you look at Stetson Bennett's productivity on passes 10 yards or longer this year and Jackson Dart's productivity on 10 yards or longer, I've actually got this written down somewhere. Where did I put it? Oh, yeah, right here. So Bennett is 26 of 46, 300, or 579 yards, three touchdowns and a pick. Darts 20 for 39, 453 yards, three touchdowns and a pick. So when they are pushing the ball downfield, they've been roughly equivalent. And Darts a guy that were like, oh, is he ready yet? And Bennett's a guy that were saying, oh, that's a Heisman contender. I mean, he's playing great. And obviously there's more to football than what happens when you push the ball downfield. But just the comparison there of let's not write off what Darts done as just oh, he's sitting back and handing the ball off and throwing on third down when he needs to. The offense is a little more complicated than that. And I think that Stetson, also a guy who's been credited a lot for running the ball this year for how well he's he's carried. And I think he's run for four touchdowns already, something like that. But yeah, I, I think that's the comparison there of even when the thing we say Dart needs to work on is taking those deep shots, taking those chances and making more success out of it he's been roughly equivalent of, of Bennett and like compare him to Bryce Young, Bryce Young's uh, 36 of 49. So that's, I think 14 or 15 more attempts, but 560 yards compared to darts, 453 really isn't that much more the yards per attempt. Let's see. I got a calculator right here. Yards per attempt for dart on deep throws is 11.6 yards per attempt for Bryce Young on deep throws is 11.4. I mean, that's, that's roughly equivalent that darts actually a little bit ahead. I mean, that's the kind of thing of there is obviously a ton of room for him to grow, for him to get better. But I think that we've actually kind of undervalued the success he's had, albeit against pretty bad teams. And we all know that, but let's also not just say, Oh, this is a game manager. 
I think he's somewhere in the middle. Yeah, that's a really good point. Because when you think about Stetson Bennett, I think a couple of things can be true. One, when he assumed the role of QB1 for Georgia last year on his national championship run, a lot of people that said Georgia was effectively winning despite Stetson Bennett. He was just the caretaker of a roster that was going to win. Because he won the national championship, because he was really good doing it, I think they're trying to balance it out a little bit and give him a little bit of credit when really he's been good. He's been solid. Is he a superstar? No. Is he a next-level guy? That's debatable. But he's still a very good college football quarterback, and he will go down in the annals of Georgia history as one of the best to ever do it, despite maybe the crazy displays of great quarterback play. He's not out there audible and like Peyton Manning. He's not out there demanding everybody's attention like Tom Brady. But I'm, I'm comparing him to the two greatest quarterbacks ever, but you know what I'm saying. He doesn't yeah. have an elite arm strength like even a Matt Corral did, but he won a national championship, and he did a really good job doing it, protecting the football and pushing the ball down the field. It's interesting, though, because Jackson Dart, it's a case study in, in many ways when you yeah. talk about the numbers that way, but then the eye test, you see the missed deep throws the misconnections sure. where maybe he underthrew a JJ Henry that resulted in an interception. The numbers say he's been really strong. So how do you look at it and kind of contextualize it in a way? I think that everybody who is a fan of a college football team or who covers a, a college football team is probably guilty of confirmation bias a little bit in the sense that like, I watch a lot of football. There's no football team that I watch more closely than all this. So like, I can't tell you if Bryce Young is narrowly missing Jermaine Burton. I've watched one full Alabama game and a couple of quarters of other games. And like, it's been passive. It hasn't been analytical, but I've watched every throw Jackson darts made probably 10 times. So yeah, I can remember. Oh yeah. remember that throw down the sideline to Mingo against central Arkansas, where he put it on the back shoulder and it's the best throw he's made Mm -hmm. versus remember that throw where he probably overthrew Heath over the middle by about two yards and could have been picked easily. I mean, I mean, those are things that are easier to remember. And when you combine that with the confirmation bias of, well, we don't think Jackson Dart's a finished product yet. So we remember the things that show us he's not finished. Whereas somebody like Bryce Young, such an extreme example, he's a Heisman Trophy. He's going to be the top five pick in the draft next year. But we think of him as this finished product. So when he misses a throw, we think to ourselves, well, even the pro guys miss throws sometimes. But the reality is everybody misses throws sometimes. That's why the highest completion percentage guys in NFL history, your Drew Breeses and Tony Romos and Chad Penningtons, the guys who are renowned for completing the ball at such a high rate, did it at about 70% clip. Nobody's perfect. But when it's a guy like Dart who we tend to think, oh, the thing he needs to work on is connecting on those shot passes. We're going to remember the ones he misses. Whereas Stetson Bennett, a guy who everybody thinks his weakness is arm strength, he can't move the ball downfield. If he is 26 for 46, that's what, a little over 55%, what is that, 56% on completion. We're like, oh man, dude's completing 56% on shot passes. That's really good for a guy with his arm strength. Dart's completing 20 of 39. What's that, like 51? I can't believe I'm doing this math correctly. 51. That's, uh, but he's got the arm strength. He's got the natural talent. Why isn't he up closer to 60? I, I mean, that's, that's just kind of the way our brains are wired. And I mean, that's not a 
defense of missing passes. The guys who are good enough to not miss passes shouldn't miss passes, especially when you're playing Tulsa and Georgia Tech and Central Arkansas. That said, I think that's kind of what's at play of we are seeing what we are expecting to see. And also with Jackson Dart, he's started six career games compared to yeah. Bryce Young and Stetson Bennett. And it's a little bit of grading Jackson Dart on an unfair curve. Yeah, and I would also tell people, I tweeted about this uh, very briefly yesterday to rile people up, but it's true. Go back and look at the first five or six games that Joe Burrow played in 2018, his first year at LSU, not his breakout year. I think people forget that Joe Burrow, out of 14 starting quarterbacks in the SEC in 2018, he finished 12th in passer efficiency rating and like 11th in yards per pass attempt. That was not a good passing offense because transferring is hard. And I mean, he had Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase and like he had superstar receivers on that team. And it was still an LSU team that struggled to get the ball downfield, not through any lack of talent, not through any lack of ability, but because it takes a while to figure things out. I think that so many times we see a transfer like Justin Fields or Jalen Hurts year one, get to the Heisman podium and think, oh gosh, yeah, you should be able to do it immediately. But it's pretty natural to need a adjustment period, uh, especially when you're moving halfway across the country to play in a different conference with different teammates. It's tricky. And that's not a justification. Like, Ole Miss wants to be throwing the ball more than 200 yards a game, and they need to if they want to succeed in the SEC, and we can get way more into that. But the reality is when, when Kiffin first got here, the first four games of Corral's career, he was averaging 16 and a half more touches per game than Dart has through his first four games. And when I say touches, I mean pass attempts and rushes. I think it was... 44 more passes and 22 more rushes through Corral's first four starts under Kiffin than Dart has in his first four games. And there's two big reasons for that. Number one is, well, Corral was the full-time quarterback and Dart split reps for two of those four games. And then also Corral's were against four SEC opponents. It was the 2020 COVID year. Dart's was against non-conference teams. They, They didn't need to push the ball as much, but nevertheless, they asked a lot more of Corral because that roster was built to win 42 to 41. This roster is built to win very differently. They don't need a quarterback who every play can be a touchdown and you have to live with the mistakes. They need a quarterback who's not going to blow up their leads that they're playing with because this is a team built to play with leads instead of built to play the yo-yo style of, I mean, think back to 2020. Think back to how many of those games were like the Kentucky game, like the Alabama game, even like the Florida game where the score was changing almost every single possession. That happened against Auburn. It happened against LSU. There were so many of those games because that's how the roster was built. This year, the defense is better than just competent. It's good. 2020, the defense was nothing yet. I mean, you need a different style of quarterback and and Dart's kind of been both a victim of that and somebody who's built his game off of that of, hey, just avoid the catastrophic mistakes. and This team's probably going to win. Where would you put the Ole Miss quarterback situation in play as they enter SEC play against Kentucky on Saturday? There are so many interconnected pieces that I'm going to probably give a long answer. but Kind of what I was hoping for, to be honest with you. (laughs) Short version is they are 
a little bit behind where I would have expected. But I don't know if that is because the quarterbacks are not playing as good as they should or because the pass protection hasn't been as good as it should be or because there aren't enough receivers who are able to get open. I, those three things have been the three red flags. And I would say of those three, the quarterback play is the one that would concern me the least. I think the pass protection, especially against a team like Kentucky, that's going to be something we really have to pay attention to because Dart's been really good at evading sacks against teams that he can evade sacks against. Kentucky has a different breed of athlete than everybody they've played this year. And the receivers, we spent so much time talking about depth this entire offseason, this entire preseason about, oh, maybe they don't have a true number one, but they should have seven or eight guys who can go out there and catch passes. Right now, I've counted about two and a half receivers, mm -hmm. not counting their backs and tight ends, mm -hmm. who I think the quarterbacks seem to have trust in. And other than Mingo and Heath and occasionally Jordan Watkins, I haven't really seen too much. Obviously, Jalen Robinson getting healthy is going to hopefully help uh, as, a, as a third target. But those are the things that make it harder to evaluate the quarterback play of, sure, you'll see Dart miss J.J. Henry once, but where's J.J. Henry been the other 72 snaps a game? Where have Braylon Brown and Jalen Knox and some of these other guys that are like, oh, maybe this is the year that they start to contribute. Maybe this is the year that an Ole Miss homegrown receiver that Kiffin recruited is actually going to start catching passes, but hasn't seemed to work out that way through four weeks. And we don't know what they're disguising. We don't know what the non-conference play is going to hold or conference play is going to hold, but the protection, especially because they've had to keep the running backs and tight ends so in so much to block. I mean, they haven't have they completed a pass to a running back since the Troy game? I don't think they have. Man, you're asking me. Uh, you you talk. I'll look it up. That's more rhetorical. I can filibuster. That's a really interesting point you make about hand-picked Lane Kiffin and staff wide receivers, homegrown talent. Who have they developed at wide receiver in that way? Because when you think about who they featured, Elijah Moore. Ontario Drummond, Braylon Sanders, Jonathan Mingo now. I mean, these are players that they did not recruit or sign. In the complete history of the Lane Kiffin era at Ole Miss, receivers that they signed out of high school or junior college have a combined six catches. J.J. Henry has five. Quay Davis has one. Um, Braylon Brown has not caught a pass yet. Brandon Buckhalter has been injured a lot, but he hasn't caught a pass yet. Mark Britt obviously didn't play receiver very long. Uh, the guys Where is Mark Britt? Is he still on the roster? He might be. I, I have I'll look that up. You keep your thought going. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I did look it up. Uh, Quinshawn caught one pass last week. So in the last three games, running backs have combined to catch one pass after they caught three or four in the Troy game. But, yeah, it's been a weird – bugaboo that sure you're never gonna say oh you're doing a terrible job of recruiting receivers when they are going out and getting you know transfer portal guys who are helping Jacor Pearson was helpful last year and obviously Jalen Robinson Jordan Watkins Dayton Wade those guys have been helpful this year not to mention Trigg but the homegrown receivers of it they've signed I think five or six receivers since Kiffin got here since that first class and J.J. Henry has by far been the most productive of them. 
and he has five career catches for 56 yards. So that is when you build through the portal, it's good. You got a lot of portal guys, but the depth, the, the guys that you're expecting to be the secondary pieces, they have not quite yet emerged at any level uh, on this offense. And you're starting to see it on the offensive line. Some of the homegrown guys are playing. Um, Jaden Williams. Jaden Williams. I can't remember. Was Eli Acker? He was Blaine's first oh, he, class. He was, yeah. he was yeah, committed to right. but signed to Lane. Um, but yeah, at, at receiver, haven't seen any of that. And tight end, obviously, Hudson Wolf hasn't panned out. And Kyron Heath is very young. Just the homegrown pass catchers, they aren't really showing up yet. And that's not to say they never will, but that's that's been something that I've really noticed over the last three years. When Ole Miss went into this offseason, it knew that it was going to have to replace Braylon Sanders and Dontario Drummond and all those guys that left. And, of course, the strategy is, well, if we attack the portal and get enough portal guys, at least one or two could potentially emerge and be that. Jonathan Mingo has been that guy. He's been here a long time. He wasn't signed by Lane Kiffin, but you can put him in the developmental category. of For sure. You could do that. Other than Jonathan Mingo, though, you mentioned Jalen Knox. He really hasn't been around outside of special teams and some – occasional snaps offensively here and there. Um, Dayton Wade's a transfer from Western Kentucky. Great story, and he's made some positive strides and steps, but what you're getting out of him is more cake than it is anything else. It's gravy. You weren't yeah. expecting that necessarily from Dayton Wade. You were expecting Jordan Watkins to play a lot. He had a really tough game last week, but Jordan Watkins, he's been okay, but he hasn't done yeah. anything game-changing at all. Jalen Robinson can't get on the field because he's just in the training room constantly, leading Lane Kiffin to make a joke in the preseason like, hey, man, you might want to think about taking a red shirt because J.J. Henry's balling out and you can't get out of the training room. Maybe he's out of the training room. I think he's going to be out of the training room for Kentucky. And maybe Jalen Robinson becomes that guy because he was signed to be that guy. The bottom line is, is if you're concerned about wide receiver play, that is something. Is Lane Kiffin has been everything for Ole Miss football. I'm not, we're not sitting here going, well, Lane Kiffin's got, you know, he's not infallible. I mean, look at the wide receiver group. Yeah, and I think it's just growth of the program where, if you look at the first two recruiting classes, the players that had the highest star ratings that were the most, you know, highest expected guys were Damon Clowney, who hasn't done very much. Mark Britt, who is he on the roster? He is on the roster, okay. but I he, do not remember seeing him because <laughs> he was he such a the- big part of the spring. I mean, there were stories written about Mark Britt and then nothing. So it was Clowney and Britt year one, and then year two, it was Taiwan Malone was the big one, and Braylon Brown was the next big one. And those are two guys who haven't really put it all together. I think Taiwan's starting to play a little bit more. I'm actually fair with some of these wide receivers. Braylon Brown has battled injury. Yeah. Um, Jalen Robinson has obviously battled. You can't knock coaches for that. I'm not, we're not even knocking the coaches. It's just like this is an identifiable problem. Why is Ole Miss struggling to develop wide receivers to replace the crazy production that they got out of Elijah Moore and Dontario Drummond, guys like that, who they inherited. And that's maybe a deeper-rooted problem. I don't know where it starts or where it comes from, but they're, they're having trouble with that. I remember Ole Miss, back when they recruited Quay Davis out of junior college, there was a split in that coach's room about who thought had to have this kid and who thought, eh, he's just another dude. There could be like a split or that maybe they need to become more unified or something. I don't know. But let's also not forget that, I mean, the Luke era, for as much as people uh, malign it fairly, 
the receivers were always the bright spot. And for even the people who were evaluating the receivers, let's think about that last Luke signing class. They signed four receivers in that class. One was Dontario Drummond out of Juco, obviously hit on him. One was Mingo, obviously hit on him. The other two were Dennis and Jaden Jackson, two guys who never panned out. I mean, nobody is perfect when it comes to recruiting, especially at a high volume position like receiver. I think the bigger, and I don't even want to say the word issue, I just want to say the bigger trend worth remarking on is that through two years, Ole Miss has not relied very much on homegrown players, or at least Kiffin recruited homegrown players. They've relied almost exclusively on veterans from the Luke era and transfers. This in year three, when there are so few leftover players from the Luke era, it's a lot of transfer guys, but you're starting to see the trickle of young players. And it's not just Quinshawn Judkins and Davis and Igbenosin. I've seen Xavier Harris get a ton of early reps in the last couple of weeks, and I thought he's played really well. Taiwan Malone, like I said, is starting to get more involved. Guys like Jaden Williams and Eli Acker are starting to get their turn. It's not just winning with somebody else's players anymore. It's it's figuring out how to build your identity. And as the program strings together more and more wins, you're going to not have to recruit the three stars that are a little bit developmental. You're going to get a Davidson Igmanosin who you know is going to play from day one. That, that's going to happen more and more as the program improves. So this isn't a knock on the recruiting so much as it is, look, they had COVID that they had to deal with. They had a brand new staff that had never recruited together that they had to deal with. And they missed on some dudes. And even if you don't want to write some of these guys off as misses yet, they're projects. They're guys who haven't gotten the chance to show who they are yet. And maybe J.J. Henry goes off for 100 yards against Kentucky or Vanderbilt. That would be ideal. That'd be great. This sounds moot. But, like, we haven't seen that from any of these guys yet. That's the point. Yeah, it's not a knock at all so much as, oh, well, maybe this is more than just uh, the wide receivers can't get separation in games. Wide receiver is kind of the outlier as far as positions and, and not hitting necessarily on guys who are helping them now. Tight end, Hudson Wolf was hurt. He's been hurt. They knew that when they signed him. I mean, he was one of the most coveted tight ends in high school, but every single school had the same evaluation. Well, if he can get healthy, if his yeah. back can get right, and his back has not gotten right. And I don't know, at this point, if you ever get Hudson Wolf, you consider yourself fortunate because I, I just don't think you can rely on that. You have to recruit and you have to operate as if you not, you're not going to ever have him. But wide receiver is a Lane Kiffin and staff issue. And part of that too is that the staff has been turned over every single year under Lane Kiffin. I mean, Derek yeah. Nix, good as he is as a recruiter, I mean, they're far and away most important in-state recruiter. He's still new as a wide receivers coach, former running back and a former running backs coach for over a decade. And now he's coaching wide receivers and he's recruiting to a different position. Quay Davis was a guy he loved, but that's a misevaluation. Quay Davis hasn't helped you yet. But that's not necessarily just on Derek Nix, but there is a little bit of – I don't think there's uniformity in that room right now. That's all I'm saying as far as scouting and development and evaluation. No, probably not. You, you would know better than I would when it comes to the recruiting side. But it is uh, – yeah, it's just something that has always stuck out to me that they – haven't played a lot of guys that they handpicked. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, the transfer portal is handpicking in a way. But, yeah, that's that's the thing that as this program continues to grow, you're going to want to see more of. What are you expecting on Saturday between Ole Miss and Kentucky as far as get the game script and how it plays out? I am 
broadly expecting a game that looks a good bit like the A&M game did last year, a little slower than Ole Miss fans are used to, lower scoring, but a game that whichever team can assert its philosophy best gets to control it. Because I think that time of possession is a stupid stat. It doesn't actually predict if you're good or bad, but it does show that Kentucky runs the slowest offense in the SEC and Ole Miss runs the fastest. I mean, there is a world where Kentucky can go on a nine-minute scoring drive and Ole Miss can go on a 90-second scoring drive and both teams feel good about it. Poor Ole Miss defense. <laughs> yeah, that, that's kind of what you're going to have to watch. Of Kentucky, this is fun. Let me look this up. Um, got, if you guys have never been to cfbstats.com, it's where I get everything. I will give them a, a shout-out here. But, Sponsor so he, Nick for that sus, whatever stats page he's talking about. CFB stats will tell you that Kentucky is second in the SEC in time of possession, averaging 33 minutes per game. Ole Miss is last, averaging 25 minutes per game. But in total plays run, Ole Miss is third in the SEC at 298 plays, and Kentucky is second to last in the SEC at 252 plays. So despite having the ball for eight fewer minutes per game, Ole Miss runs about 10, 10 more plays per game than Kentucky does. Just a stark stylistic difference. Kentucky, the only team that moves as slowly as them or slower than them is A&M. So that deliberate nature of the way Kentucky plays, if Ole Miss gets off the field quick, if Ole Miss can force them to go three and out, it's two minutes, three and out, your offense can go again. If Kentucky can get rolling, especially with Chris Rodriguez coming back for his first game this year, that's a preseason All-SEC running back. Uh, yeah, those could be seven, eight-minute drives, and that could grind and wear on a defense. Now, the flip side of it, Kentucky's offensive line is bad this year, like genuinely below average. Like their running backs this season have averaged 1.2 yards before contact on their carries. That is putrid. They lead the SEC in sacks allowed. They've, they've really struggled to keep things going up front. And Ole Miss's defensive front has been really good at creating havoc plays. Now, last week, I know there weren't any sacks, but 10 quarterback pressures is a ton of quarterback pressures. And Will Levis isn't the kind of quarterback who's going to be as slippery as, as what was his name, Braylon Braxton, something like that. Um, it's going to be different, but that's kind of the matchup I will pay attention most to is does Kentucky's offensive line impress more when they have an all SEC running back behind them? Or will this be a game, especially if Ole Miss gets anything like any number of snaps from JJ Piggies and Kari Coleman, which I'm doubtful on both, but we'll see if you get those, if you can get those pressures up front, Ole Miss can dictate the pace of play. And if they do that and get out to an early lead, I don't know if Kentucky's the team that's necessarily built to come back from behind. They can come back from one score, but if it becomes two, three scores, I don't know if Kentucky's built to come back. When's the last time you thought about retirement? What about saving for your kid's college? In these crazy economic times, working with a professional is of the utmost importance, and that's where my friend Thomas Chandler comes in. Thomas is a financial planner with Capital Financial Group, and he wants to help you make the right decisions for your financial future. So give them a call today at 
662-296-0186. That's 662-296-0186. And tell them that Ben sent you for a no-cost consultation and get started toward financial independence today with Thomas Chandler of Capital Financial Group. Your Ole Miss baseball rebels are national champions. Yes, that really happened. Your eyes did not deceive you. And what better way to celebrate since we all spent way too much money getting to and back home from Omaha than with a new car. Well, the only place to buy a car in Oxford, Mississippi is Allen Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. From new and used sales to parts and service, Allen Samuels of Oxford aims to provide a truly stellar automotive experience. And what separates Allen Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford from every other dealership is they aim to address each of your needs with the utmost respect, care, and attention to detail. They'll get you in the car you want at a price point that you can afford. Give them a call today, 662-234-8000. Ask for Brian or Mason to tell them talk of champions sent you because now talk of champions actually makes sense Ole Miss baseball won a national championship and they'll get you in your dream car with your Ole Miss Omaha magnet planted right there on the driver's side door they're located at 2201 East University Avenue in Oxford that's 2201 East University Avenue that's just past Kroger contact them today 662-234-8000 that's Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford a proud sponsor of the national champion Talk of Champions podcast. BNA Bank is celebrating 125 years of local banking. For generations, BNA Bank has been a stable fixture in Northeast Mississippi, supporting and investing in our local small businesses, local schools, local community events, local charities, and so much more. At BNA Bank, we believe in our local communities, businesses, and organizations because we are a local business, too. Thank you for choosing to bank local with BNA Bank. The signs of summer are here. Freshly mowed grass, days in the water at the ballpark, and all the rest on the golf course. Well, that's how we do it over here at Oxford and Ole Miss anyway. And PXG Golf Apparel is here to make sure you're locked and loaded for round after round at University Course or Oxford Country Club. PXG has taken its mission to create the most high-quality, high-performance golf clubs in the game to their new line of apparel as well. With PXG Apparel, there's something for everyone. From pants, polos, and sweaters to hats, joggers, and skirts. You'll usually find me with a hat on my head. And PXG has nailed the fitted breathable. And my navy goes with pretty much anything. So don't wait another second. Elevate your style game on and off the course with the PXG Spring Summer 2024 Collection. Head over to pxg.com TOC and use promo code TOC for Talk of Champions at checkout to save 10% on all apparel. That's pxg.com TOC. Code TOC for Talk of Champions to save 10% on apparel. BXG, a proud sponsor of the Talk of Champions Podcast Network. It's concert season, and concert season is all about the boots. Already, Oxford and Ole Miss have seen Morgan Wallen light it up at Vaught-Hemingway Stadium. Ole Miss football star and Talk of Champions podcaster Jared Ivey bemoaned how his boots were lacking. He should have gone with Tecovis, the only stop for the Ole Miss fan and the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings for the spring and summer, including timeless, always-on-trend styles in men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. Stop by your local Tecovis store and have a complimentary drink or two on the house while you shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service, and many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. 
If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Talk of Champions is also brought to you in part by my bookie. You know football and you pick winners all the time, so why not get paid for them at my bookie? Bet single-game spreads, money lines, or parlay multiple together to increase your payouts. Low contest entry fees and over half a million to be won. Make it so you don't have to be a pro gambler to have fun. Getting started is easy. Just visit mybookie.ag, mybookie.ag, and use promo code TOC for Talk of Champions, TOC, on your first deposit to secure a double deposit bonus. That's promo code TOC for Talk of Champions. TOC to get your first deposit matched dollar for dollar all the way up to a thousand bucks. My bookie is a proven sports book that makes it simple to bet and win. So make this your winning season exclusively at my bookie. If Tulsa told me anything about that defensive line, it's the value of JJ Piggies in the middle in his disruption. But maybe with a slower offense, a KD Hill is even more effective. I'll tell you this when you're going through all that. I felt better about it because for a week, all I've kind of thought about is, oh, basically Obis is going to get a better version of Tulsa because Davis Brin is a good quarterback, but he's not Will Levis. And every modern offense goes fast, and God, Kentucky's just going to sling it everywhere. But no, they deliberately choose to go slower, and that could work in many ways to Ole Miss's benefit. Yeah, and in a lot of ways, it's a nightmare matchup. In a lot of ways, it's a it's a really nice matchup. I mean, Malik Heath told us the other day that when he's watching Kentucky on tape, what he sees is a lot of drop eight. What he sees is a lot of cover three, a lot of defense that's just going to take away the passing lanes. If they dare run drop eight against this Ole Miss defense, the running backs are going to average eight, nine yards per carry. You, you can't have a five, six man box against this Ole Miss rushing attack. Ole Miss so will I, prefer that because where are they struggling? Pass pro. Yeah. So, Kentucky has two options on defense. One, show something they haven't shown this year, which they're less practiced at. Or two, let Ole Miss run wild. And obviously they're not going to choose that. So it's tough to prepare for something that you don't have tape of, that you don't necessarily know what they're going to do. But the flip side of it is Kentucky hasn't shown it yet either. So in a lot of ways, really tough matchup. In a lot of ways, really fortunate matchup it's a weird one where I still haven't settled on like a score prediction or anything like that but I I think I have talked myself into understanding why the Rebs are like a seven point favorite in this game even though all indications should show this should be like a one point spread in either direction this should be a toss just a straight pick them I don't know I don't know where I am on what the final score is going to be but after Tulsa and I feel like a lot of Ole Miss fans were like this, too. After Tulsa, I'm thinking, oh, God. Well, Will Levis is a better Davis brand. Chris Rodriguez is better than anything Tulsa could run out there. This, this yeah. game's going to be tough for them. But I think time of possession, because I'm like you, time of possession is a stupid stat. I, I hate it. For some reason, old school thinking we reward teams for playing keep away. It's, it's so fascinating because Kentucky runs – we talk so much about, oh, how unique are the Lane Kiffin and Josh Heupel offenses or the Mike Leach offense. Kentucky probably runs the most unique offense in the SEC in that 
Last year, their offensive coordinator was Liam Cohen, who came directly from Sean McVay and this year returned to the Rams to be their offensive coordinator. This year, it's Rich uh, Scangarello, who comes directly from Kyle Shanahan, who was with the 49ers last year. They are running a very much college version of the offense that has taken the NFL by storm. What the Packers yeah, those, are and those offenses, those offenses from. are fast in the in the NFL. The Sean McVay offenses, that's a lot of uh, motions, pre-snap motions. Yeah, and- no, the Rams kind of are. I think the Rams are a little bit more deliberate than some of those teams. But the simplest way to describe this offense for people who don't pay as much attention to the NFL as, as maybe Ben and I do, there are two things they do very well. Number one, run outside zone, run zone rushing plays that set the edge and get the defense moving laterally instead of upfield. And then the second thing is use that to set up a devastating play action attack, which is something that kind of has gone by the wayside in college with the RPO era. Play action has just kind of turned into RPOs, but designed play action, designed draw the defense in and then go deep. It's incredibly effective in the NFL and Kentucky thrives off of it. Uh, that's, that's kind of the thing that has separated them, especially these last two years with Stoops noticing well, if this is the thing that no NFL defenses can stop, I doubt college defenses can stop it. So let's not sit back Arrogance of that too, by the way. Yeah. Like, let's not sit back and say, oh, they're deliberate, they're slow, this will be easy. This scheme works. This scheme's really, really effective. But that's kind of the difference of, it's not you're playing Mike Leach and you have to figure out how to drop eight against the air raid. It's not you're playing Josh Heupel and you have to figure out how to deal with that hyperspeed tempo of them trying to run 80, 90 plays a game. It's they have a really solid foundation of what they like to do and they do it well. And that's the hallmark of every good Mark Stoops team at Kentucky is if you're going to try and out talent us, we're going to out produce you out prepare you out know what we want to do and know what we're good at then we're gonna dig in our heels while we're playing tug of war and just sit the frick down they came up with the best strategy to win tug of war the other team might have the sumo wrestlers at the back but you know how to use the leverage yeah our guys our guys in the top two or three on in tug of war they did not miss leg day so they're gonna sit their ass down dig in their heels and lie in wait. And when it's time to pull, by God, they're ready to pull. Don't you love how in the NFL, though, with uh, commentary, this is kind of getting off track. Even in college football, too, like you uh, tune into any game and you have all of these color guys completely misinterpreting plays and calling, well, that's an RPO. It's not. If you guys want to know the best way to identify if Ole Miss is running an RPO, look at the receiver who is lined up on a side of the formation by himself. Look at what he does on a play whether he catches the ball or whether it's a run play, watch him. And that's probably the best way to know if there was any chance he was going to get the ball. Yeah. Don't look at the boundary guy. Look at, look at the one out wide. And what did he do? If he just immediately stepped out and started blocking, that was not an RPO. That's not what that was. If he's running hard on a 10 yard slant, he wanted the ball. He definitely wanted the ball. I think you've convinced me now. I mean, I've read it a lot. I've seen it a lot. And I've heard a lot, but Kentucky isn't very good. I disagree. I think Kentucky's a very good football team. But I think Ole Miss and Kentucky are kind of in that exact same place to where they haven't done anything to make you think, oh, yeah, they're the number three, four team in the SEC right now, no doubt. 
But also you see the flashes of, oh, shit, if they can channel that, if they can bottle that up. But I feel like Ole Miss fans, just because of history and what they're used to as far as Ole Miss is concerned, they're given a little bit more to Kentucky and how good Kentucky is and not crediting how good their team is, if that makes sense. So they're freaking out, or maybe they were after Tolson. They've calmed down for a handful of days here. Uh, freaking out after Tulsa going, well, Kentucky's just going to beat – I saw this in my mentions on Twitter. I'm sure you did too. Oh, Kentucky's just going to beat the crap out of it. It ain't going to be pretty, man. When they line up against Kentucky, Kentucky's going to do this, this, and this. I feel like Kentucky fans feel the same way, and that just tells me you have two pretty evenly matched teams in which everyone executes what they do well uh, more often on Saturday will win the game. So don't give them more credit and take away from Ole Miss just because Ole Miss had a letdown game against Tulsa. One of my uh, my bosses have me every at the beginning of every season, not just football, but basketball and baseball too, write a bold predictions for the season story. And as Ben will be the first person to attest, I am not the kind of person who likes being bold. I'm not a hot take guy. But my biggest bold prediction for the season was there will come a point where Ole Miss is ranked in the top five. And if they win this game, they are very much set up to make that happen. I, I mean, you win this game, they're not going to be top five next week, but then you get Vanderbilt and Auburn back to back. If you're, well, I think after Auburn, what? I think after Auburn. Yeah, if you're if you're seven and zero, and the chips fall the way that people expect them to, there's a path. That's this is the fulcrum game. This is the point in the season where everything hinges. If you win this game. You're sitting at 5-0 and with two more very winnable games next. You start thinking, man, if we lose to Alabama and lose two out of three to LSU, Arkansas, and A&M on the road, that's still 9-3. and The New Year's Six is still there. That's the kind of fulcrum point this is, where you beat Kentucky, you can still feasibly lose three tough games and end up in the Fiesta Bowl versus you lose this game and you start thinking, well, we, if Ole Miss doesn't win six out of the last seven, then the season's shot. It's, it's like, so silly to think that way on October 1st, but the whole perception of the season changes depending on what happens on Saturday. I'm not asking you to give me a score. I'm not asking you to say definitively whether Ole Miss is going to win or lose. Where are you leaning as far as who you're going to pick to win? I'm leaning on this. We're breaking news. Nick Suss just announced in this edition of That Suss. Don't worry, Ole Miss fans. Ole Miss is winning on Saturday. Back to you. Yeah, because that worked for me so well last week when in the third quarter you just started tweeting mean things about me. All right, well, you're leaning on Miss. I think I'm leaning on Miss, too. I'm going to be honest. On Monday, I wasn't. I wasn't at all. And that sus made me feel a little bit better. Usually what I do when we have that sus Thursday, which is still a new thing, but it's a thing now. What I've been doing is getting Nick to tell me an embarrassing story. If you don't have a locked-in story to tell, I need your help with something. Okay. All right. Something happened this week. It's actually been a two-week run of me not intentionally putting myself into situations where I come out of it feeling like an asshole. I'm not going to tell you about all the last two weeks. I just need you to tell me about this incident. It's the next and latest edition of Was Ben the Asshole? And I need you to be honest, okay? okay? All right, here we go. I coach my youngest daughter, Riley, her soccer team. It's under eight girls soccer. It goes to shootout. 
because it's tied at the end. My little goalie, Aaliyah, not that Aaliyah, but Aaliyah, she was in goal at the end of the game, at the end of the match, excuse me. And she's freaking out. Please don't make me be the goalie. I'm going to freak out. Like she, she was just having like a mini panic attack. And someone who deals with panic attack and anxiety, you know this better than anybody. I was sympathetic. I was like, oh, my God. Okay. And I took the jersey off of her, said, hey, you're going to be great. The referee comes running across the field. Whoa, whoa, no, 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 yelling. I mean, at the top of his lungs. For everybody to hear, I mean, it was a true on ump show in under eight girls soccer. Now, that's probably being being a little dramatic. So, let me, let me stay even, let you have an impartial decision to make here. He said that I can't change my goalie. Well, I wasn't changing my goalie. I took the jersey off of her, trying to make her feel better. He was interrupting. He, and, yeah, I'm used to being the person that interrupts. I'm sorry. So, dismissing everything immediately out of hand if you said, no, wait, no, 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 no. It's been a hard two weeks, but that doesn't excuse the behavior. I flipped my top. I lost it. I got in his face. I was yelling at the top of my lungs because I couldn't except that he was just standing so arrogantly in his wrongness. I was embarrassed at the end of it because I didn't want to be that guy. But we almost got into a physical altercation. When I'm walking off, he says to me, I'll let you get away with it this time. To which I swung around and went, or what? He was big. I'd have gotten my ass whooped. That didn't matter. Was I the asshole? No. I I will say, if you are going to make a seven-year-old girl who's having a panic attack play goalie just because the rules say you should, you shouldn't be a referee. Like, (laughs) there should be some recognition of... To his defense, he did not know she was freaking out. He just saw me take off her jersey. But I feel like the last two weeks, I've always come out of a situation, multiple situations, feeling like you're just an asshole. If you get into enough crappy situations... And the common denominator in all those crappy situations as they're piling up is you. You finally look in the mirror and go, no, you're just an asshole. I'll, I'll tell you this, Ben. I, these were not the stories I was planning on telling this week, but uh, they fit into what you're saying. So, uh, yay, some more Nick Middle School stories because they actually prompt something. So I present as very even keel as an adult, and that is on purpose. I was not good with anger when I was a youth. I was the kid who played Little League baseball screaming into his glove like he was Randy Johnson. I mean, I was I was a head case. And so two stories, one, both from PE in seventh grade. One, we were playing kickball, I want to say, and I was team captain of some sort. And my team had a rudder on third with one out and somebody pops the ball up into the outfield, and the guy at third base just starts barreling towards home without tagging up. Can't do that. And, and so he, uh, he gets doubled off, and we lose the game on that play. And I just unload on him, another seventh grader who did not care about the rules of kickball. And I am screaming, you gotta tag up! You gotta tag! He doesn't know what tag up means. It's seventh graders. Not everybody follows baseball as closely as I did in seventh grade. And just like screaming and wailing. After about four minutes of unloading on this kid, the PE teacher calls me over 
and just very calmly, she's like, was that necessary? And I'm like, oh no, you're right. That was, that was way too much of an overreaction. I should not have done that. Um, which is something I've done my entire life up to that point. When I was, my parents love telling this story. When I was five or six years old, a bunch of families were over at a house for like a Labor Day party or something. And uh, all the parents are upstairs having a good time grilling. And then they just hear in the backyard a commotion, just like a, a frenzied, frantic bout of screaming and crying and a lot of young boys feeling their feelings. Just one heck of a hullabaloo. And, and when they come out there, they see about four boys crying, two or three just sitting on the ground looking at their feet, and me screaming like I'm Tommy Lasorda. And it turns out what I was screaming over and over again was, that's encroachment. That's encroachment. You guys are doing encroachment. <laughs> and I was trying to call offsides penalties. How old are you? How old were you? I was, I was five, six years old. <laughs> um, and I was just like, that's encroachment! It's encroachment! Because that's the word they used on Madden back then. They didn't, like, when you jumped off sides, the ref always called it encroachments. The name I knew it of, off of Madden 99 or whatever game I had at that point. And uh, so, yeah, it was a repeated behavior of mine. But all of that leads to, this is going to sound like a weird question, but what's the, before I offend you, what is the etymology of the name Ben? Like, how old is the name Ben? Is it biblical? Uh... <laughs> I just don't know. I, I don't. So my entire life, I have been uncomfortable around boys or men who have like new age names that end in the letter N, like your your Braxtons and your Bradens and your Jadens. Dalen, Dalen, you come here right now, Dalen. Yeah, every bully I ever had was named like Grayson or Cameron or Devin, like. And those are three very real examples. And I'm going to talk about a kid named Devin right now. I bet Devin um, is a great plumber now. <laughs> but so he was the most athletic kid in our middle school. Good for him. And I grew up in the one town in Georgia that cared about lacrosse. It's very bizarre, but our lacrosse program was so much better than every other sport at our school. And so when I was in seventh grade, same year, same PE class, we had a lacrosse week where we would go outside and play lacrosse during PE. And the school had those rinky-dink plastic PE lacrosse sticks that PE classes sometimes have. But the idiots in charge of PE said, hey, if you, if you have a real lacrosse stick, you can bring it in and play with it because we don't want to mess up your form, which is crazy. Like imagine playing, Come on. Imagine playing flag football in PE and being like, oh, but if you play real football, feel free to bring in your spikes and shoulder pads. Like, just an insane thought. But so Devin was a kid who did bring in his metal lacrosse stick, and he was already the most athletic kid in our middle school. Uh, I am not good at running fast. That's something you probably assumed about me, but, like, I will confirm it for you. I'm, I'm hey. very slow. Hey, I man. ran like a... Me too, me too. Yeah, I ran like a 5.840 my senior year, and I was a team captain on our football team, and I still was running like a 5.8. I mean, I was just like <laughs> brutally slow. I don't remember this story. This is a quick diversion. I don't remember this, but my dad tells me it's true 
when I was in fourth grade, I hit a ball to the fence in baseball, which anytime you're a fourth grader and you hit it to the fence, that should be an easy inside the park home run. I legged out a double off of it. My coach from the dugout yells, sus, you got wheels. And apparently I, a fourth grader from second base, yell back, square ones. Just a, a fantastic cell phone. I, I, was, I was fully formed as a fourth grader. Did you get laughs? Yeah, no, I got huge laughs. Oh, I, I, I'm always going for the laugh. You're good. Apparently, you're good. I, I don't remember it. <laughs> but um, anyway, Devin brings in his own lacrosse stick. And like this asshole. I am very slow, but I was tasked with catching up to him. So I am chasing behind him with my dinky Fisher Price baby's first lacrosse stick. He's got a thousand dollar metal pole in his hand. And I am trying to scrape the ball out of the back of his cradle. I, I don't know lacrosse very well. And I miss the back of his net and like graze him on the shoulder with my Milton Bradley stick. And he goes into rage mode. Like he passes the ball to somebody else or probably scores, I don't know. And then spends the next five minutes of his life chasing me and whacking me with a pole. And it hurt. Where were the adults? We're getting there. So it's about five minutes of this, of him just treating me like a pinata, like just, if this story wasn't funny to me, it would be a thing I was telling a therapist. It's, uh, it's this has gotten dark. <laughs> but so he's, he's chasing me and chasing me. After about three or four minutes, this kid, Brian, walks over to our PE teacher and is like, should you, should you do something about this? And I remember she says, uh, they're just playing. And I wanted to be like, this is not how lacrosse works. <laughs> this is not the rules of this game. Not the fact that you were getting physically assaulted with a bat or a pole. No, you were just worried about the rules being followed. <laughs> but so eventually uh, me, the human bruise, hears the bell and is like, cool, this is over. So that was the last period of the school day. And uh, while I am changing back into my street clothes, I am thinking to myself, I'm going to jump them. I'm going to fight him. I'm going to stand up for myself. I am a man who will fight for your right. Exactly. That song was going through my head. That scene from the show Yes, Dear. where Yes, that that's song. exactly what I was going with. You, was, how would you know that? Yes, Dear is such an obscure show to remember. And you remember that moment. It's the only time I've ever laughed at Yes, Dear. I loved, I loved that show as a kid. It was on summers at 3 p.m. on TBS, and I watched two episodes just about every day. But anyway, I, I decide, look, it's my time to shine. I'm going to yeah, go fight. It's time. And I walk out, and I see Devin standing with his two other very popular friends, Justin and Steve. We're going to call them Crab and Goyle. I wasn't kidding. All of their names end in the letter N. Devin, Justin, Steven. Good gosh, I have a weird hang-up about that. I'm sorry if your name's like Javen. You might be a really good person. My twin brother's name is Steven, and he was the most non-confrontational person I ever knew. Sure, yeah, and your name's Ben, and that ends in an N, and so does Benjamin. Yeah, but I'm loud and dumb, and I just almost got in a fight with the underage <laughs> soccer so, referee. So I see uh, Devin, Justin, and Steven uh, 
very, very similar to Draco Crab and Goyle. Now that I, good, good, good call. Uh, and I am just like hyena spitting at this point. I'm like so ready to go put my head down and run into their chest and die. I, I really didn't think this out very well. And right as I was about to like sprint at them, uh, listeners from last week might, might remember that my best friend in middle school was a kid named Tor, who was very- Tor, Blazer, Glacier, Tor, your American gladiators. Uh, but Tor witnesses this happening and just like right as the three of them, the three Slytherins are about to uh, attack me, um, Tor just kind of steps up and goes, everything okay? And all of them are just like, oh, you bring your big friend to fight for you? That's what you're doing, man? You got your big friend here to defend you? We'll get you some other time. Yeah, we'll go three on one with you another time. Yeah, because y'all aren't the cowards. Harry Potter was the chosen one. But it's not because, you know, he had anything necessarily special about him. It's just that's the house that Voldemort went to. He could have very well gone to someone else's house, that of Neville Longbottom. Same kind of backstory. And Neville becomes a hero in the Harry Potter. Jesus Christ. Oh, I can just hear the people rolling their eyes. You are, you have the story arc of Neville Longbottom. So this is the Neville, the old Miss version of Neville Longbottom. My plan is treat them like bowling pins. Try to knock all of them down. Low man and wins. then run away as fast as you can with your square wheels. Low man wins. You're a bowling ball of butcher knives like Quinshawn Jenkins to bring it around to Ole Miss so we can wrap this up. This has been another edition of That Sus Thursday with Tour. <laughs> talk of Champions. If you haven't already subscribed, rate, review Talk of Champions on iTunes. When you do, leave a five-star review. I don't care what you say. You can say, Ben, you're a Harry Potter nerd, and I am, but make sure it's five stars. He's Nick Suss at Nick Suss on Twitter. He writes and covers Ole Miss for the Jackson Clarion Ledger, and I'm Ben Garrett. It's always fun, man. Let's do it again. And if you bring tour, I will call you a coward. Let me leave you guys with this. If, uh, if you do call Ben a Harry Potter nerd, don't leave out the word Potter or else he will be a little offended. <laughs> it's such a dad joke, but it's so good. Bye, Nick. Bye. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.